Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Copysmith. Copysmith is this incredibly cool Alberta-based company that got on my radar about three, four months ago. What they do is they use cutting-edge AI technology to help you with your copywriting. That can be ads, it can be you know product descriptions, it can be emails, social media posts, even blog copy. And I know recently they just added a feature to help you with your landing page copy. So this isn't just for marketers. This is for anyone where copywriting comes up on a daily basis, which for many of us is frequently and also can be a bit intimidating. If you're not a writer, but yet it's something we have to do and we have to do well to get our messages across. Having a tool like this really helps you get that first draft, gets you started, gets you 80, 90% of the way there. It really drops the intimidation factor and gets things rolling. So if you're curious to learn more and you want to take technology out of this cool realm of something you heard about to actually a practical use case, check out Copysmith. Their platform is, like I said, I've been using it for about three, four months personally, and it has been beneficial on multiple occasions. So copysmith.ai and use the promo code collision for 30% off any of their plans for the first three months. A warm collisions on a very chilly day in Calgary. YYC, welcome to Miss Jill Vickers. How are you, Jill? I'm good, thanks, Tyler. How are you? I am good. Thanks for coming on the show. We've been we've been chatting away, and we met we met way back, and I don't feel we went way way back last year, uh, and uh, taking some time to get on the show and have a chat. But thank you so much for coming on on so many fronts. I'm really excited for our conversation today to not only learn about what you do at Drift Technological Services Solutions, I should say, sorry, but also being a tech. A woman in tech, a startup in tech in Alberta, still working in oil and gas from a technology. I don't know. There's feels like there's so many things we can chat about today. Let's maybe start with what is Drift? Tell us about it and we'll go from there. Uh, sure. Thanks, Tyler. So Drift is a software or a SaaS company. We started about two and a half years ago and really focusing on how we can create efficiencies in the logistics space in oil and gas. So we measure, monitor, and provide insights and optimization based on primarily moving product by, by truck um, and then creating uh, transparency in that data to provide accessibility to producers, uh, trucking companies, and to terminals. So when you say moving product by truck, strictly focusing on like the output product, some type of a crude or some oil or like not all the other chemicals involved, strictly <laughs> output product? Yeah, our primary focus is really on commodity product. Okay. So propane, condensate, crude, uh, more of that kind of like... Uh, more a commodity side so that, mm. you know, once we, uh, product goes to sale, we can capture all of the information from, you know, wellhead to point of sale is what we like to say. Okay. So from a, from a point to point are this is all, I'm assuming are most of the transfers, is this, are you Alberta based? I know you're Alberta based, but where are your, where are the majority of your customers? Maybe is the question. Uh, Western Canada. So like Western Canadian sedimentary basin. So we BC, Alberta and Saskatchewan. Okay, and is this a little bit? I'm using it. I'm bolting another term. Is this kind of almost like last mile stuff, where you like wellhead to wherever it's going to be plugged into the system to go where it needs to go? So I guess it's not the last mile. It's almost the first mile, right, of getting it from where where it comes to where it needs to go, so then it can actually get access to the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like there's a big void uh, primarily in moving um, product either by truck or by rail in the sense of it gets loaded onto a truck and then oftentimes you don't really have any insight or information on when that product has been delivered. It can be up to weeks depending on when you get your truck ticket. And so what we started looking at was how can we provide access to that information quicker so that uh, different people could make decisions more quickly to either improve netbacks or to uh, look to send product elsewhere or if there was any sort of 
um, kind of if there was production issues or something along those lines, like that they would have access to that information so that they could make better decisions, uh, really to reduce costs. Okay, ultimately. So the alternative to you was, I just don't know, and I kind of go a little bit on faith. This is the way the system works. I put my product on this truck, and then whatever happens, happens. Like, are, are, is, your, is your alternative to just like a poor way of doing it, but that's the only option we had prior? Yeah, I mean, it's a very kind of paper-laden process mm. historically. Okay. And so it's looking at more so just the digitization of that data. And then what we really like to focus on is what can you do with that information? So, you know, what different types of insights can we can we provide? Uh, how can we create different, you know, AI or optimization models based on uh, historical movement and, and really trying to hone in on how people can receive the best value for their barrel as possible when they're moving product in in by truck or by rail. Okay, so when you think about the you know uh, uh, let's, let's go let's go buzzwordy here digital transformation a buzzword that floats around everywhere. So this isn't necessarily transforming or changing the process. This is allowing to provide more transparency and more data so that as humans we can make better decisions around a process that's happening. So you took a world of this is the way it goes. Let's put a layer on top of it that allows us to pull a lot better data and to make a lot better judgment calls to optimize like what we're actually doing. So it didn't change anything in terms of the way that the product, the commodity moved, but what it is doing is allowing the, the owners of that product to have a lot more insight and, and then action it. Is that, am I oversimplifying or does that make sense? No, I think that's exactly right. It's timeliness. It's, it's, you know, trying to provide insights into costs. And I think that's exactly what we're trying to honing in on. So was your biggest, uh, you know, your comp- I, sometimes in, in my world of marketing, we talk about competitors and competitors aren't, sometimes they're another business, but when you're new and you're, you're, you're providing change into a space, sometimes your competitor is a spreadsheet or your competitor is literally a notepad that's stuck on the post of the well site with inside of a mason jar. I've heard all kinds of crazy stories about, about what you're actually competing with. For you guys, was that, was that more the case or was it, is, was it getting people to do things differently versus actually other competing businesses? I would say as time has gone on, more competing businesses have kind of emerged. Like there's definitely more products um, in the oil and gas kind of space looking to kind of focus on digital transformation and and kind of creating efficiencies within the space. Um, But I would say there is still a lot of competition around, you know, the paper process or Microsoft Excel in, in lots of ways. Yes, the, the oil yep. patch is very, and I've, I've talked to a lot of companies that are working to digitize things, and often their biggest competitor is is the, sp- is the spreadsheet, and the individual that's used that spreadsheet for many, many years and sees yeah. no reason to change it. Mm-hmm. And for, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, it, yeah. It's always worked. Why would, it's all, I, why would I change it? <laughs> Sorry to paraphrase, but that's a, that's, a, that's a real thing. And has the last couple of years, is there external factors that are coming in? Like, I guess, what are those external factors that are influencing? Is it, is it push for efficiency? Obviously, the drop in, in price of oil is, is forcing everybody to look at doing the quote unquote more with less. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're all hoping for in the <laughs> digital transformation. I appreciate but, that. <laughs> you know, I think... I think that the the interesting thing about the cyclical business of oil and gas is that when when prices are high, 
lots of companies don't choose to spend money because they're making money. And then when prices are low, it's hard for them to spend money because they don't have money to spend. And so it's a really interesting market to try and figure out what the right levers are. Um, and I would say it's it's company by company. Like there is still a ton of customer discovery that goes into almost every individual client. You can have, you know, an ideal customer profile and have it fleshed out really well, but you go into a company and it's like the one piece they want isn't even a part of your ICP. However, your solution fits in perfectly. So, you know, I think, um, I don't know, like I would like to think that this downturn will really hope to kind of create a catalyst for the adoption of technology and looking at honing in on efficiencies. I think there's a lot of people right now that um, are taking on more and more as the workforce is, you know, as sadly people are losing their jobs, those jobs get handed off to other people. But it's also they need the capacity to be able to assess new ways to do things and to implement and those types of things. So I don't think it's as simple as, you know, that the downturn is enabling or creating the space for companies to adopt. I think there's a lot of cultural components that still need to kind of be uh, looked at and and really looking at trying to encourage companies to try new things uh, to you know, I, I'm not quite sure. Like when I was, I worked big EMP for a couple, you know, I guess like the majority of my career. And it was interesting when I look back on those days to thinking about, you know, what was the catalyst or how did we start to look at, um, incorporating new technologies? And there was definitely a cultural component to it. Um, but, at that time too, we had the money to be able to spend on things. And we had people focused on innovation. And the company that I worked for at the time, it was definitely a huge part of what they were, I guess a differentiator in the market is that they were really looking to kind of prove innovation and and to, to be an innovator in the space. And so it gave people like me a lot of opportunities to kind of try new things and to get them funded internally. Interesting. Um, I love what you said. It's about, it's about culture and beliefs more than it's a, and you know, you build that customer profile so much about it is who they are and what they believe as a group, not just as necessarily the size or the amount of volume they have or kind of all the more the technical statistics, uh, specs, if you will. <laughs> yeah. It's the qualitative versus the quantitative. <laughs> yes, it is. Which, which, which in a world of engineers and accountants, like, well, I don't know about this fluffy business you're bringing forward. <laughs> So for so from you in terms just getting an understanding of your customer are these some of the bigger players mid size like again you can name names if you want or if not just so who typically and I'm always curious because when you think about all of these this movement towards Calgary being more of a tech hub it it it. it it's nice when we have customers here that are willing to adapt and there's also opportunities for, I know a lot of companies here that are doing well and they don't have a single customer in Alberta. But if you're working in the resource sector, it's the mindset of our local companies that are going to allow companies like yours to get uh, get a foothold and get some traction and get going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say like our customers at this point are kind of mid, mid-junior kind of company size. Okay. So companies that um, <clears throat> I would say, you know, roughly, I don't know, let's say like between, I'm trying to think of production numbers, but yeah, like I would just say mid to junior and geographically quite diverse. Obviously non-pipe connected is typically who we're, who we're kind of focused on. Of course, because their core, their core means of getting their product to where it needs to go is exactly where you can dovetail in and add, and add, and add value to that product, right? Yeah, exactly. 
So curious, what uh, whatever possessed you to be uh, to do your own tech startup? <laughs> Naivety. Uh, good answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, great question. I. Yeah, I don't know. It was, you know, if I always kind of think about if I ever would have thought of, you know, my 18 year old self would have pictured myself here. There's like absolutely no way. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Calgary and like vowed I would never work in oil and gas. I always thought like I'd work for Greenpeace or like someone on the opposition. Um, <laughs> That's, and then, that feels like a whole nother podcast episode just to unpack that <laughs> right there. Yeah, it's true. And then I couldn't get a job and that's how I ended up in oil and gas. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I ended up working in, you know, once again, I was doing my master's degree and I, I really ended up having a great opportunity to kind of go in what it was actually in Canada at the time um, that I was given an opportunity to kind of come in and, and work kind of in their EHS group. Uh, I was doing my master's in <clears throat> resource management and I'd done an undergrad in sociology and environmental studies and so um, I thought you know I was working I always joke I was working in mold and asbestos at the time and oil and gas no longer seemed as so bad what <laughs> so, life is about perspective is it not <laughs> oh man for sure so um, yeah so I kind of launched in and and what I started to do even you know when I first started was like I couldn't believe how much data was available and like how much information and how you know there was so much research being done and so many um, innovative projects and and even just baseline data collection but a lot of this information wasn't really being that well utilized and so I started to get excited about like well how can we digitize this information and how can we apply and use this information in planning or in different decisions that we're making so I got really into kind of looking at how we could digitize and then how we could create um, I guess processes or programs to utilize baseline information to make better decisions or to avoid issues um, pertaining to more so on the environment side in the future. And so that's really where I started um, getting into kind of this digitization process. And then I ended up um, working on the oil sand side of things. And we, I kind of got into this, into the water space. And so we were looking at surface water management and I ended up utilizing the same kind of, it was the same thing of lack of transparency and lack of access to information. And we ended up being investigated for misuse of, of water in one of our programs. And so what we, we just started looking at how we could reduce the data lag. And so we outsourced the development of an application um, to track water and do our government reporting and basically to create like a really good audit trail for us. And so that's really like my first trucking app. I always joke like I never in my million years would have thought I'd have developed three trucking applications, but you know, here I am. So my first one was an in-house solution. And so then um, in all reality, I had my third child and I ended up getting laid off while I was on maternity leave. And <clears throat> it's a whole other podcast episode yes, for it you. Is, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I'm making notes for future episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I ended up getting laid off on maternity leave and a guy that I'd been working with um, 
at that company had kind of said to me, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here to commercialize something along this. And, you know, would you be interested? And I think at that point, I just was like, yeah, why not? Like, I, I wasn't really ready to retire. <laughs> so I kind of, um, we partnered up and created a, a company focused on water and, and water government reporting and access to water. And then it was through that kind of customer experience that we started hearing about this idea of trying to um, track commodity products and same same type of problem, just different fluid, really. And so um, I kind of just decided, you know what, maybe there is something here and naively ended up getting a customer and starting on my own. So, yeah, I always kind of joke about, I mean, I don't know if you get into this, if you knew if you knew or were aware of how it all looks, but, uh, but it's been an incredible learning experience. That's for sure. I can imagine. I, I love the honesty of like, yeah, it just kind of happened. And next thing you know, I was doing it. And curious, just even the, then this is me thinking from a business perspective, your current application focuses on the commodity itself and, and the ability for the owner of that commodity to increase value versus water, which is obviously has a huge value, but not in the same way. And you're more of a, like you're mitigating and you're managing versus you're trying to optimize and actually improve uh, from a revenue perspective. Do you find that your app, is it an easier conversation because that if by using it, it can actually lead to more revenue versus this is actually just mitigating your risk? You know what I mean? It feels like there's two different sides of where those apps could show up or those applications, I should say. Yeah, really interesting question because you know, my background and, you know, education is much more focused on kind of the earlier, like on the environmental, like protection and sustainability side. And so on the water side, I used to always think there would be um, the lever of government regulation and, and how important that was. But one of the things that I think we've really learned in the last couple of years is, you know, we live in a pretty water rich area of the world. And we really haven't seen kind of the constraints on access to water that I think we initially thought we would see. Um, and that you see in different areas of the world or in, you know, in the U.S. in particular, where it's a bit more water impoverished um, in certain uh, oil and gas kind of um, areas of focus. And so that's one thing I would say in Canada is that we haven't really seen that what I would have thought would be the catalyst for kind of... Um, reduction and fresh or or that kind of thing yeah primarily like regulatory led Mm -hmm. yeah and so i think i always thought that that would be um the area in the water side but i mean the conversations around commodity side of things as well is it really depends like on on moving product by um on moving commodity product like companies are all organized and those budgets are all managed in different areas of different companies. And so, you know, some of those kind of, let's say, trucking costs almost get hidden in some companies um, as ops, you know, just general ops costs or they get managed by a different group. And it's cost, there's an cost, a ton of, cost of doing business versus a line item. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. Mm. And so I think it's kind of trying to change how we think about those costs and looking at how we could really, um, how you could save or how you could be more efficient in that movement of that product. Because when you think about customer and who's going to be your ideal customer, the more you get into the majors or the more you get into the larger players, the more their way of managing that is harder to disrupt. Or <coughs> I'm thinking of smaller customers 
where there's more willingness to go, well, wait a second, why have we been doing it that way? Maybe we should think about it in a different way and then we can not think of it as just a line item under our GNA, but actually something that we can optimize through. The larger, I'm assuming the larger you get up in organizations, the more change management internally would have to happen for something like what you have to provide obvious value. Like it could, but you got to get through layer upon layer of this is the way we've always done it, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. For sure. That's interesting. That provides an interesting. But if the world's headed in that direction, as you know, you and I talked offline about just kind of generational change, and we bring in not only younger people that go, whoa, wait a second, isn't there an app for this? But you're actually bringing in people with a mindset that believes that optimization <laughs> through digital. Like it's good to clarify. You know, you can you can be on a younger generation, but but not still look at things a certain way. So I'm seeing as as companies change and as resources become more scarce, like you said, they cut people, but they don't cut work. So that. Means means the people that are left have to do twice as much as they did before. And I've heard that time and time again. I, I, I could only imagine that, you know, hey, is there an app for this, quote unquote, has got to be a factor that's being talked about more and more in boardrooms or around the water cooler than it was even a couple of years ago. I would think so. And I think a lot of that is the prevalence of solutions that are in the space right now. Mm. Like there is a lot of companies in, let's say, Calgary and Edmonton or within the Alberta ecosystem that are really looking to kind of try and solve some of these problems. And so I think more companies are are aware and seeing what's available in the space and then looking to see, you know, where the fit is within their companies or what their areas of focus are and, and how they can... Um, <clears throat> how they can potentially adopt certain technologies to to kind of meet those needs. Well, I think it's as as the art of the possible. Once you start seeing a whole bunch of applications show up in a certain area of your business, you're gonna it's gonna be hard to not go. Wait a second, what about this area? My business? You know, it's you start to get a new set of filters and a new way of thinking. And you're right, the more there is, the almost faster that that's going to create adoption in on in in spaces that aren't even tied to maybe a change that they're making or initiatives that they went to go forward. If one initiative works, they're going to start looking at other initiatives in other areas of the business that maybe were just kind of off limits before. So talk about the tech, you, you mentioned it, the, the infamous ecosystem word that we love to use and the tech ecosystem in Calgary and Alberta. So being part of that ecosystem, what's that been like for you? Highs and lows, goods and bads? Are you, uh, you know, is it something you spend a lot of time with? Or, you know, I know a lot of tech leaders that are like, listen, I don't even have time. I'm too busy doing my own damn thing to go to all these meetings and to, you know, connect with the other people in the ecosystem. What, what's been your experience around that? Yeah, great question. I would say I don't spend a ton of time in the ecosystem, to be honest. Like, I feel like a lot of my time and energy is really more so focused on, you know, running my business. I also have three children. So, like, you know, I've got a lot of a lot of balls in the air um, <laughs> on a good day. So I don't feel like I have a ton of time um, at this point to to connect and and um kind of be within that ecosystem. However, there's definitely pieces of it that I've found great kind of value from. And so um, I'm a part of a venture mentoring program <clears throat> called VMSA that has been just so, so valuable to, to myself personally and, and I think to the success of the company. Um, and I think just the connections, like, you know, there's that cliche saying that being an entrepreneur is an extremely lonely journey and it is. And so even just like finding your friendlies and your friends, um, within the space that you can, you know, access and reach out to or brainstorm with, or kind of trying to create a bit of that, um, 
peer support, for lack of a better term, um, has been extremely valuable. And that's one thing I would say in the Calgary ecosystem is that the people who are willing to give you their time and their energy and um, shared experiences is is actually it's quite phenomenal I you know there is no one that I've ever reached out to that wasn't willing to have a five-minute conversation with me um and so that's something that I think Calgary has done an incredible job of is making um people accessible and also really trying to help um other other businesses um in the space and and just making sure like no one wants to see someone make the same mistake that they made and so, you know, looking to try and share those experiences. And that's something that, like, I hope as, you know, I transition through through or within Drift and, 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 you know, at some point when I have the time and the space to be able to, I think it would be great to be able to contribute a bit more to that space. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I've, I, you know, the joy of being on this podcast and doing, talking to as many people as I can, like I absolutely believe it is one of our superpowers here in Alberta and specifically in Calgary, the willingness to help each other, the willingness for people to go, sure. Yeah. You can call up a senior leader at a big company that you would think would be off limits and they will absolutely give you the time of day. Like it is a very interesting phenomenon and I've done business in other parts of the country and it's there in other parts of the country, but you got to get through a couple layers to get there. Where Calgary, it's, it's right at, it's right there at the, at the, at the start of just Reach, all you have to do is reach out because people will like you're not going to get the door slammed in your face that just doesn't happen even if they do it they'll do it nicely but that doesn't really happen here <laughs> like that <laughs> there's not a lot of door slamming here it's not that kind of an environment people are inherently just like willing to help each other I believe it's so many years have we lived in a, in, a, in a land of abundance and even though there's been a little bit more scarcity the last five years I still think there is that like hey I can help you you can help me I can introduce you to someone there is that kind of small town vibe that we get here in, in western Canada that uh, I think is amazing. It's easy to take it for granted until you go to other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. Um, so curious, the, the nuts and bolts, how's it been like, has funding been a thing for you guys? Have you been able to get access to, to capital in the market? Uh, investors, you know, again, however you specific you want to get, even talent. So curious of like, if we go down the nuts and bolts of, of, of getting a startup going when like literally everything is on the table that you have to like, how's been the funding in the talent pool? Just th- those two, which are often make or breaks for a lot of startups. Yeah, good question. I would say, so one thing is we run very lean. Okay. <laughs> um, maybe that's a strength and a weakness, but definitely <laughs> like to date, we've, we've really focused on running kind of as lean as we can. Um, you know, I've been fortunate, I feel like, in regards to the talent pool in the sense that we've been able to kind of find um, the people <clears throat> and access the, the people and the talents that we've needed at, at different times in the business. And so that's been obviously extremely helpful and I feel very very fortunate to have the people um, on our team that we do in regards to funding another you know this is probably a different conversation but we've been we've been primarily customer funded which has been um, a bit of a different approach than Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people take in the space Um, there's been you know great um, there's been a lot of positives to that. There's obviously downsides to that as well. But we have to date been primarily customer funded or funded through um, a few kind of grants, <clears throat> mainly okay. around, uh, mainly through Alberta Innovate. So we haven't actually gone for third party funding. Okay. Well, that's again, there's 
there's pros and cons to both sides of those. You talked about some grants and some funding. Um, I've been on some conversations with some tech tech startup leaders and companies that are kind of doing their Series A, and a lot of them I heard they're like, "Listen, we abandoned anything to do with government or municipal funding because it just was too much of a distraction because it was just too hard. <laughs> like they just made us yep. want to measure things that weren't relevant to our business. And as leaders, we had to make the hard call that it was actually more of a distraction. Whatever money they gave you, kind of quote unquote, wasn't worth it. And I know that's not a universal truth. And I, I just I've heard it lately more than I haven't heard it. So curious, you've, you've gone for some of the funding. How was that? Like, was that a distraction or was that a positive experience for you? So I would say very strategic is what I would like to say on that. Okay. So in the sense that I don't spend the majority of my day doing grants or looking for grants to apply for, I think that can be a full-time job. Like if you are wanting to run on grants, um, it is a full-time job. And then the, and then the reporting process of those grants um, is the same. Like you, it can, it can, like it can really be a big distraction. And one of the tips that someone had given me when I first started is that there's no such thing as free money. (laughs) And I think that really helped me frame how I think about grants. So or funding through grants. And so that's something I always think about when I'm applying is, you know, there's no such thing as free money. So what does this look like? Or how is this impacting my focus on the business or, or those types of things? So I would say I've tried to be really strategic about what I've chosen to apply for, um, so that it isn't necessarily a huge distraction. Um, and I've also tried to make sure that what I have applied for or received, um, does help to kind of move the business forward. So it's not looking at like trying to, you know, create another offshoot. It's been, it's been, as I say, I think there's just a ton of strategic thinking that needs to go into like, is this the right time? Is this the right, is this the right grant? And do I have the right people to support me in doing this? Um, but I agree like that one piece of advice that I got about, there's no such thing as free money really reshaped how I thought about funding my company and funding, um, and grant applications and access to government, to government, municipal, federal funding for sure. And so through Alberta Innovates, it sounds like the right, the the right things were there when you needed them and they would, and they did work. So, you know, thinking about all the the pluses and minus, knowing that like as a tech startup, two and a half years old, you were still able to get access to certain things when you needed it. So it's, so quote unquote, it's worked for you in the context and how you just, how you opted to use it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So curious, I've got to ask, you mentioned a couple times, a mom of three kids and doing a tech startup. So it's almost like four or five kids, maybe. I don't know how you want to, how many, how many <laughs> child, the, the factor of what you want to allocate to a startup, because we've all had it referred to as our babies and, and our, we're growing it. And how has been the balance of those two things? Because that is a level of busy that just makes my head like, that scares me when you say that. I feel, I feel that as you say it, the weight of that. Oh yeah, I feel it too. Um, <laughs> I'm quite sure you do. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think it, the I don't know if balance is the right word for it. To be honest, um, I don't necessarily think that there is at this point a uh, such thing really as that balance. I think it's more so once again being aware and strategic about how you choose to spend your time. So you think about you know if you're choosing to go to an ecosystem event or you're choosing to to, you know, a customer, a customer thing or anything along those lines, like it is always in the back of your mind as to like, you know, prioritizing or for me, for sure, prioritizing, you know, my family and my kids. And I always, when I started, I was like, 
my software baby will never be ahead of my of my children. Um, and it is hard. It is hard. And it's hard to enact that in the day to day and especially in the working from home um, space when, you know, the kids see you um, on your computer or on calls or, you know, they don't really understand um, what work entails. Right. And so I think like that's been something that's been really challenging and especially without having the space to like go to work um, and for them to be more present in your day to day. Um, it's been harder to kind of create that space um, and that separation. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think balance is the right word. And I just think that, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I think ju juggling would probably be a better word. <laughs> it would be a more accurate yeah, probably. word. No, and probably. there's a you and I talked about a little bit of this offline and I think it's worth touching on like the realities of the impact that COVID has had also on the female workforce or female entrepreneurs or, you know, all that where all of a sudden, you know, you're now caregiver, your teacher, your, your CEO, your all those things at once. And like you said, when the separation of, you know, going to work and coming home from work, that's a different thing that allows for some barriers. It's almost worse to be in the room and not being able to engage with your family while you're also there. When you're gone, you're gone. But when you're across the room, but got your headphones on, that creates a different psychological almost weight. I would imagine that, that, that happens around that. Oh yeah. There's a lot of guilt. That's for sure. Yeah. It's funny because I was talking about this with a couple of my girlfriends the other day, and we were talking about um, three of my friends, and we all had nannies for our children. <clears throat> and um, I was joking. I was like, man, I don't think I realized. Like, I thought I was stressed then. And I had this, like, amazing nanny who, you know, like, I mean, lots of days I'd go to work and didn't see my kids in the morning, and I'd come home and they'd be fed, and all I'd have to do is, like, take them to the park and you know, maybe bathe them and put them to bed. Um, and, and I was stressed about it. And I, you know, so it's funny, like now I don't necessarily have the guilt associated with not seeing them as much, but it's the other, the other, <laughs> the other stresses that have kind of compounded onto it. Um, but I was like, I wish I was more thankful as to like what that was like <laughs> at that point, uh, rather than feeling like how overwhelmed and stressed I was trying to juggle that because what I'm juggling now is like, man, it's so interesting. Know. The psychology, if you don't feel you can take on another thing until five things show up and then you just take them on because what else, because you don't have a, there's no other option, right? There's no alternative. <laughs> Well, and you know what's so interesting that you said that, Tyler, is like one of the things that we've been talking about, and we were talking about this offline too, is like the the load, like that kind of capacity. And I was saying, I've been really struggling with, I used to, I always felt like I had quite a large capacity band. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I could, you know, I was running a company. Bring it on, bring I, it on, bring it on. <laughs> yeah, I had a nonprofit. I was volunteering at the school. I was you know, mothering, I was, you know, and I could always take on different initiatives and really enjoy that. And then that's definitely one thing I felt like COVID has hit me hard on is like, my capacity band is very small now. And so things that like, before, even like making dinner would not have been <laughs> something that felt like it took up a lot of space or a lot of energy. Like now I'm like, wow, I just don't feel like I have the capacity to execute and to do the things that I was able to do a year ago. And I think like that's something that, um, um, you know, when we're talking about women led companies or a mother, um, and all of that kind of load, I think that 
capacity around COVID is just so real right now. And do you, what do you what do you think that you know is it because our lives are so much more at home in front of computers that it feels like it's less? Because I think you're right. I've never really thought about it that way, and I don't think you're right. I agree. Is what I should say around this whole like it felt like I had all these different buckets in my life, but now this whole work from home thing. You're right. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh shit, I need to go make dinner, and it's already seven. How did that happen? And oh yeah, I still want to go work out. And oh, how did I miss that? Where I used to leave and go to the gym at five, like I'd leave the office, go to the gym, then come home. They were all in their own little buckets. Now that bucket, it's all in the bottom of one bucket, and it feels a little bit harder to segment it and to break it apart. But technically, it feels like we should have more time, but it kind of feels like we have less. <laughs> yeah, and you know what's interesting is like I feel like I've been you know reading a lot of different kind of pieces around this topic and I think a lot of it is like this heightened sense of just like anxiety and like kind of we've all flipped a bit more into like survival zone and I think a lot of that is because you know we've never known life this way like we've never known our lives to be you know we've never lived through a global pandemic before and (laughs) there's no there's no playbook for sure there's no playbook and it's like no matter what there's the day-to-day implications of like putting a mask on before you go anywhere and you know like thinking you have to think about all those things and like social distancing like that's not a natural process for us so i think there's a lot of energy that actually goes into Mm. how we are functioning in our day-to-day right now and i think that's taxing and so then i think like the capacity um to meet that like our baseline is lower a friend of mine said to me the other day they're like you know when you look at your phone and you look at like apple storage and i was like oh my god that's exactly how i feel (laughs) it's like there's that line item of 50 things on your phone and how much space they all take up and you're like 98% 98% full and you can't take another photo. I'm like, that's me. That's my brain right now. Like that's such um, a good, me- that's such a good metaphor. I just went through that. Cause I said, we need to upgrade our storage. I'm like, no way. I've got to go clean it up. And that was a very stressful experience. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Oh, I wish I thought Great about analogy. Right six months ago. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just think there's so much around like the survival versus, you know, thriving versus surviving yeah. and, and all that kind of like in this time. And Yeah. And it takes a lot of discipline to know what you should delete. Let's sorry, I'm just I'm just carrying with the phone analogy. That was great. Oh yeah. Which yeah, video from which video from three years do I not care about anymore? And what and like how does that compare to the thing in my life? And I'm like, I just going to say no to that. In a world where we're like, the more you can take on. Like I, I read a quote the other day. It was stop the glamorization of busy. I thought it was so good because like the the taking things on and the bandwidth and like oh yeah, bring it. Like put another brick in the backpack. I can carry it. You're right. That's so like I'm going to speak North American. Like that is like a badge of honor. We 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 a lot of us run around with a lot. I'm going to say a lot. Not everyone, but a lot. Yeah. Like it's the yes mentality. Yeah. Right. Like, and how do you learn to say no? And how do you learn to say no at this point in your life when you've lived in that yes world for so long? And that's definitely something that I struggle with is, you know, I was notorious for over committing, over booking, like, <laughs> my gosh, the amount of friends who've bought me daytimers in my life is just like insane or like tried to get me on like family Google calendars. And it's like, no matter what, like I can't keep track of, and that was like in good times. Um, so maybe that's one positive thing about this is like mm-hmm. the social calendars are so much less. There's way less stress around over committing oneself now. <laughs> the, so- the social piece is definitely, is definitely interesting in terms of that. And you know, my life, my life takes up the majority of my time. And uh, you know, what, what I say no to is what defines me, but man, it's so much easier to say yes. 
Oh and yeah, I, totally. And as you know, even in the business, I'm. Do you guys have a way, like, uh, as a, as a tech startup with technology being your lever? I'm assuming there's also a ton of discipline and rigor you need to put towards what initiatives you go forward with with the, with the software versus what you say no to. Like, just even talking about it in the tech world, it almost feels like there's just so many options that tech leaders can be like, oh, I could add this feature and that feature. And so, I guess, do you have a formula? Do you have a matrix there? We'll bring it back to the business for a second, where you can define like what's a go and no go in terms of features, additions, like investment of time and money? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, yes and no. Oddly, <laughs> like some of it is like- Is it binary? It doesn't feel like ones and zeros. It feels like it's more complex than that. Yeah, I would say there's definitely a lot of what we rely on is kind of customer feedback. And so we do kind of look to say, you know, is this is this suggestion or is this product feature something that someone's going to be willing to pay for? Mm -hmm. And I think we really spend a lot of time kind of focusing on that. So are we willing to kind of take a risk if, if it's going to be funded by a customer or if someone we know there's like a direct correlation to being able to profit off of that? And I would say that's really kind of like our highest decision factor as to whether we go through with something. Well, just thinking about your model of being, you know, customer funded versus investor funded or family funded or, you know, whatever, whatever other form or grant or, you know, tied to some government accountabilities, you've got an advantage because you have customers. Like so many people that build their ideas in a little bit of a vacuum going, this is what the world needs. Have you gone and talked to the world? No, 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 I know. So I can only imagine in your world, like this thinking about the positives of being customer funded, if a customer won't fund it, then why would we build it? You know, and, and where are we leading versus where are we following in terms of showing them what's the art of the possible versus meeting a, a request? So I can, I imagine that it's got its challenges, but from an advantageous, you have a constant working group of people that are there to give you feedback. So I'm assuming that's an, that's been an advantage over the last two years. Oh yeah. That's been an incredible advantage. And like, I, you know, I think like, obviously you can't run a business without customers. And so, like, <laughs> it's a critical really factor. Important. Fortunately yeah. or unfortunately, depending on the model. Yeah. So like definitely being able to focus on that kind of being able to focus and remain focused on customers has been, has been really advantageous for us. Do you have a pretty, do you like from an ownership perspective or, or someone on your team, do you have that? Is it a real constant dialogue and, and kind of fluid? Sorry to use the word fluid. I'm looking at your website. It's sitting in front of me. Yeah, <laughs> do, do, is that, is there a really a fluid conversation with the customer that's happening kind of at a low grade level, like at, at, at a low frequency all the time? Yeah, pretty much. We uh, spend a lot of time working and communicating and hmm. um, yeah, really focusing on our customers for sure. And do, you, do your customers, and sorry, I'm going way down the rabbit hole here on the customer thing. It's just so easy to overlook because sometimes we have our egos that we think we know what the customer wants, but we forget to include the customer in the conversation. <laughs> it happens all yeah. the time. Uh, I, and I'm assuming that, you know, do, you, do they look at you as an app or do they look at you as a partner to their business? I think one of the ways that we've really tried to create those relationships is more so in a partnership capacity. So, you know, they want to bring you with them is really what we've been trying to to work at being able to create with our customers. So if I'm going to be adding a new facility or if I'm going to be looking at creating a new part or a new focus of our business, we want Drift to be able to support us in, in doing that. And so I would definitely say that's kind of more of that kind of partnership approach. 
I really like that. And just, again, my marketer and the, that, that hat is coming on my head. I'm thinking about, you know, if I, you're there to help create more value for me, not just to solve my problem. And I know those can be two very similar things, like solving a problem can create value. But when you've got something that's optically going, hey, here's where we can optimize here and actually put more dollars in your jeans, as my CFO would say, like there's something about a partnership that does that versus like, oh, we're going to make your life easier. We're going to help you remove friction, which inherently will make you more money over here. But the line of sight always doesn't happen in large organizations where if you get tied to the value equation, that that's a like that's a high value partnership in my in my mind. The more you can create transparency around that, the more like it's not a negotiable that you're absolutely like, hey, if someone talked to Drift about how they can help us with our new initiative, like that's a real powerful place to be as a as a vendor. Yeah, and I think like we had a great compliment or what I would have what I have taken as a great compliment in the sense that we've had a customer ask to to invest in us. And so I think like that really shows that kind of like what their level of investment is in our technology and vice versa. It's kind of the ultimate compliment, right? I think <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah, well, I I think we should choose to take it that way. There's no other, there's no other way to take that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And the, the more powerful is your ability to actually go yes or no shows that you've put yourself in a really good position as well versus being in a position where you, where you can't say no. That's a, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jill, any, any, any words of advice or any, any, any thoughts? You, 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 you mentioned the comment about getting to yourself into a place where you can give back. And I really appreciate that. That's also, again, how do we, how do we continue to build on this superpower? So if you've got a startup, someone listening, either man, woman, even, you know, what, what advice would you share in terms of like, you know, you're, you're, you're on this journey, you're, you're, you're in it, you're, you're, you're doing the thing. Anything that you'd share with somebody who's either looking to get into it or maybe is at an early stage and is feeling a bit beat up by it? <laughs> get used to that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Stop letting them hit you in the face. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's true. Like, I think... Yeah, I mean, I guess ride the highs and ride the lows and try and figure out, like, try to find, try to find the calm water in the middle. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I sometimes feel like still like I can't, I don't even have my mouth above, above water to be able to think about like what advice I would give to someone at this space or at this stage. But, you know, one of the things I think of and when they talk about um, women in technology and, and women run businesses and those types of statistics associated with that is, um, not willing to take on the risk. And like, that's something that I think about often. And I would say, you know, maybe from, I'm not like an overanalyzer by any means. Like I'm definitely like a gut instinct kind of person. The majority of my decisions are based on that. Um, which, pros and cons too, but I, yeah, um, I, I sit a little more in your camp. So I, I, I surround myself with people that are more analytical just to keep it balanced. <laughs> yeah, totally. And as I've like started to like grow in age and in my career, now I like am more conscious of it and try and be like, okay, let's try and find some logic here. Like, why do I feel this way? Let's try and find. Let's at least reverse engineer my already made decision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Make myself feel better about it. Um, <laughs> but I would say like, you know, risks are healthy. And I think like, you know, if you have an idea, um, it is worth pursuing. Like, and, and the other, this, the one piece of advice that I always remind myself of, and that I would share too, is like, enjoy the journey. Like the learning is so much in the journey. And I think in, in the tech startup world, and in the business world, we focus so much on the exit or preparing for the exit or the revenue side of things, or we focus so much on the numbers. And obviously you have to do that in business, 
But like, you really have to look at like what you've learned along the way and you know, what would you do, what you wouldn't do, how you would do things again. And I have a laundry list of things, um, in the, I would never do again category, but I think like those are all such great, they were all good experiences and all things that I need to do to improve either as like a business owner or as, uh, as a mother, as a partner, as a friend and all of those types of things. And so I think like that's something I really try and focus on and really try and make sure that I do is like be okay in like the sticky middle and like be okay in the process and really like, um, yeah, really kind of try and focus on like what those learnings bring. I appreciate it. I, I was going to go with the things I won't do again as a chapter of the book, but I think it might be the title of the book. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. that is, it sounds like that is the whole book. Uh, I'd be okay in this. St- it, it's, it's, it's so much about giving yourself permission to have the experience that you're having and not like, should I be this way or should I be feeling that way? And you get like that. It is lonely, especially if you like, if, if you don't let other people in and hearing what you're talking about and having other people along that journey and being okay. The fact that you're going to trip and fall, cause it's not actually trip and fall. It's just part of the process. <laughs> Yeah. And like, don't see, I, I always think about like, you know, what is success and what is failure? And like, to me, a success doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a billion dollar exit and failure doesn't necessarily mean wrapping up your company. Like there's different things that, that serve their purpose at different points in your life. And I think it's okay to, to acknowledge what they have brought to you and to be okay with letting go of certain things. And I think like, um, you can find success in failure for, in kind of a strange way, right? Oftentimes, and I know it's trendy to talk about it, but that is where you find when, when, when you knock it out of the park, you tend to just think you're more awesome. You don't necessarily learn more <laughs> from those. You know, I had, a, I had a friend, CEO of a successful business, and, and he's, like, he's like, hey, when I hire somebody in a senior position, if they can't tell me about a major failure they have, I often won't hire them because that means it's going to happen on my watch. I want to know that they've been through that. <laughs> and I, I liked it. I thought it was a really interesting filter because he's like, we're all going to have it. And if you don't, you just start to think you're a superhero. And that is a, that's a recipe for trouble. Sooner or later, you're going to find out you're not, bullet, you're not bulletproof. So I, I, I've learned over time to embrace those failures. When I was younger, that was not my reality. But as I get a little bit older, I'm like, oh, we're just going to call that one learning. And we're going to move on. <laughs> we're going exactly. to make a few notes and not repeat and go just heaven forbid don't do it twice and then it wasn't if you do it twice then the first one was kind of a waste (laughs) no i agree it's wrestling with the ego i find there's a lot of that right wrestling with ego Yes, I'd say my ego is a worthy adversary. But over the years, I've learned some of his moves, so I can get a I can get a heck of a jump on him. <laughs> when I was younger, he was driving the bus for sure. He, he or it, it was driving the bus for sure. Jill, I really appreciate your insights, your willingness to share, just the reality of like being a human is having an experience. And if you happen to be a human who's also a mom, also running a startup, also living through COVID, it, it just makes more complication around the experiences. But it's uh, it's 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 messy. And kudos to you for for doing it and living it and two and a half years in that's you've already there's probably some statistic how much farther ahead you are of the majority of startups don't even like get to close to that far but i know that it's not about comparing it's about your own journey so i wish you all the best and what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and reach out and more importantly if they want to partner with drift how do they connect uh probably our website which i think you have in front of you i, I do Dr- yeah if they wrong url <laughs> Well, we won't do that. Heaven forbid, drifttech.io. But if you uh, if you if you search uh, drifttech, you guys come up right away. So so your SEO is working. You guys came up right away. I was doing <laughs> I was doing some professional creeping on your website. And it was not hard to find. And uh, again, congratulations for the success you've had to date. And uh, I really really valued your share today. So thank you for that. 
Yeah, thanks for having me, Tyler. It was uh, I enjoyed the conversation. So thanks so much. It was my pleasure. 